Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back for another season of the Blitzed Podcast. Yes, that is right. I'm back. Harley's back. The Blitzed Podcast is back. Harley, it feels like we've been locked down forever and a day since the last time we talked. Well, I guess technically we have been. Uh, It's only now just for about a month and a half that uh, here in Minnesota, at least, we've been free to move about the airplane completely untethered, no masks, anything like that. But as the Delta variant uh, finds its way, provocatively moving its way through the population across the country, it it may only be a matter of time before we find ourselves masked up once again here. I don't know that that's necessarily not going to be something that happens everywhere, quite honestly. And, you know, I don't want to make light of COVID or the Delta variant or anything, but in a sense, fantasy footballers should have an idea of what something like this is, right? Because in a sense, the Delta variant is kind of what you deal with at the running back position with the attrition that happens due to injuries. Or you could say that the Delta variant is the quarterback position and we could just kind of ignore it and hope it goes away. No, there's ignoring it. It's not going to get this one to go away. I don't think. (laughs) Anyway, so for this week, for our first episode back, we're starting in early August. I don't know that we've ever started this early before. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit of Scott Fishbowl. I'm in there this year. I know you're in there again this year. Last year and the year before, I think we both picked from the one spot. This year, you're in the one spot, and I'm in the 12 spot. So we've got two differing views, especially with that third round reversal, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then we are going to give everybody our top 12 Running backs for 2021. God, that's hard to say. Tw- we're tw- it's 2021. It's, even- I, it's back like when I was in radio school and they taught us to do call letters for the radio stations. So, of course, to punish us, they gave us the call letters WWWW. So we had to say it WWWW straight like that. And it was really painful to have to do that over and over again. I should clarify. I don't mean hard to say, physically say. I mean hard to say like, holy crap, it's 2021. It is 2021. That is crazy. I can't believe it's August, quite honestly. I can't believe it's time, but it is. But you know what time it really is right now? What time is that, Steve? It is time for me to throw it over to you for this week's Blitzed Podcast News. Thank you, Steve. The Minnesota Vikings found themselves with only one eligible quarterback this past weekend in undrafted free agent Jake Browning. Second-round rookie Kellen Mond tested positive for COVID-19 despite having been vaccinated. The Vikings starter Kirk Cousins and third-stringer Nate Stanley were considered close contacts, so they were also both unavailable for practice. Cousins has been open with the media about his desire to remain unvaccinated. This, of course, raises the question, did the vaccinated Mond purposely infect Cousins 
to push for more reps with the first team. <laughs> Speaking of teams being without their starting quarterback, the Indianapolis Colts learned last week that their newly acquired starter, Carson Wentz, has a foot injury that will require surgery and that he will be out anywhere from five weeks to three months. Jacob Eason, a fourth-round pick in 2020, is their current backup. But don't be surprised if Wentz's former Eagles caddy, Nick Foles, finds himself filling in if the Colts can swing a trade. In preparation, the city of Indianapolis has pre-erected a Foles statue outside of Lucas Oil Stadium. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this before, but Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas may miss the first four weeks of the season. Or he may miss the first eight weeks of the season. Or he may miss the entire season. Frankly, we just don't know. What we do know is that Thomas could have dealt with this injury during the offseason, but he chose not to. At this point, you are basically mathematically more likely to find the baby in your slice of king cake than find Thomas active on the field this year. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers ended any holdout concerns by reporting to camp with the Packers this past week. As part of the terms of his reporting, Rodgers' contract was reworked so that he will be a free agent as early as the end of the 2022 season. This raises the question, how many guest hosts will Jeopardy use until Rodgers reports to the game show? <laughs> and finally, consider this your annual reminder to set your Monday Night Football showdown lineups for week one when Sammy Watkins and the Baltimore Ravens play. And make sure you put Sammy Watkins in that captain slot. You may also consider this as your reminder to never play Sammy Watkins again after that week one. This has been your BPN News Update. So, okay, I got to say, that's a good call on Sammy Watkins, but you actually can use him for the first few weeks. He's okay in September. Somebody, <laughs> Sammy September, huh? Sammy September, yes. I think that's what I called him last year. I've got a post on him on Twitter if somebody wants to go dig it up, but I did show what Sammy's stats were in September. He reminds me a lot of Eddie Royal, um, who was, I think, over half of his touchdowns all happened in his career in the like month of September. Between the... San Diego, then Chargers, and the Chicago Bears, yes. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to make sure I didn't say Los Angeles Chargers at this point because he wasn't with the Los Angeles Chargers. He was with the San Diego Chargers. Very true. Man, that just really makes everything all mucked up, doesn't it? Exactly. And, man, Wentz just can't catch a break. But a bump. That, uh, it's, it's painful, literally. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, first of all, Weather prognosticators, meteorologists, are probably the one like type of person that has it harder than fantasy prognosticators, right? I mean, exactly. is it going to rain? Or is it... you live in, if you live in Southern California, it's pretty easy. True. But is it going to rain or is it going to be sunny? Like, they get things wrong 50% of the time, it seems like. Fantasy, you know, prognosticators get the same kind of flack. But, I mean, 5 to 15 weeks? Come on, docs. <laughs> Well, and so before the news broke that Aaron Rodgers was returning to the Packers, there was a lot of talk about him possibly either A, retiring, or B, holding out and demanding a trade somewhere else. We looked back, uh, it was uh, someone on Twitter, I, I don't remember who it was, but they did a search under the 
uh, stats and information from the Scott Fishbowl this year. And there was one team in the entire Scott Fishbowl that had Michael Thomas, uh, Aaron Rodgers, and Carson Wentz on it. Wow. Interesting. So now imagine this. Rodgers doesn't sign when he does. Oh, they also like, uh, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. It was Michael Thomas, Aaron Rodgers, and Cam Akers, not, not Carson Wentz. Oh, okay. That's, that's tough. That's, that's very tough. Um, imagine this. Imagine that Rodgers doesn't sign when he does, and he's still hemming and hawing and wants to be traded. Wentz goes down, and they know that it's going to be five to 15 weeks, and they know if they were to push it to six weeks that they get to keep that first-round pick. They could have used their first-round pick that they were supposed to give to Philly to trade for Aaron Rodgers. Of course, that'd be an awful lot of um, money associated with the, the you know, quarterback spot, so it wouldn't have happened just you know, for fun. Well, and, and that's one of the biggest concerns uh, that the Colts have is that they don't have a ton of cap space to work with. So if they do pursue a free agent quarterback or a, a trade for a quarterback, they're going to have to give something back in return to free up some cap space or do some sort of like magic money manipulation because – uh, one of the guys that I've heard uh, rumored, and I would actually love to see there, is uh, my personal favorite, Gardner Horseshoe. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing about the cap. To me, and I've seen some other um, former NFL executives make a comment similar to this, the cap doesn't keep you from making moves. Honestly, it doesn't. If they want to make a move, they'll find, out, they'll find a way to make the move they want to make. They don't want to exactly. sign a guy. They're just not going to sign the guy. If they want to sign the guy, they'll make room. It can be done. Which is one well, of the things I hate. Them restructuring T.Y. Hilton's contract or something like that. Yeah, but it's also one of the things I hate about the NFL from a salary cap standpoint. I wish it was a hard cap. Make them really squirm when they, when they say they're up against the cap. Make them really up against the cap. Well, I think, though, there would also be several, quote-unquote, cap manipulators that would be out of out of work then that is true that's true so that would that would hurt the unemployment numbers oh well hey i'll tell you what do you want to start with the top 10 run top 12 running backs and we'll get into scott scott fishbowl after that well i think that there may be some crossover in our discussion so okay uh, yeah let's start, let's start the running backs and uh, uh I'll, I'll i'll start things off hold uh, on. as we hold on i know we're, we're, we're getting back into it but we got to remember we always set lines man it's all about oh, the lines right yes how many do we get right overall, and how many do we get right in the same exact spots? We're going to have nine matches. Uh, nine that are both on the same list. We're going to have two in the right, two in the same spot. I'm going to take the over on both. Okay. All right, go ahead and start off with your first two. Well, my, my first pick was also my first pick overall at the 101 in the Scott Fishbowl this year. I decided to go running back heavy, but we'll discuss that a little bit later. I decided to take uh, Carolina's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, no Curtis Samuel there this year to steal touches out of the backfield as well as catches. And, and he had most of last year to rest up and recover from all the injuries he sustained. My biggest concern with McCaffrey, of course, is if Sam Darnold and him do not click. But obviously they have the whole preseason here to work through that. At number two, I'm going with Delvin Cook here in Minnesota. The team has one of the top wide receiver pairings in all of football, 
but somehow they choose to remain one of the top three teams in terms of run play percentage. He has been considered mildly injury prone in the past, but almost all of his injuries have been kind of fluky soft tissue things. So even with the injuries, he still finishes among the top three or four backs every single year. But here's the key thing, though. If you get Delvin Cook, make sure that you add Alexander Madison as his insurance policy. So at the end of last year, we did a way too early top 10 at the running back position, and you had CMC and Cook, and I had CMC and Cook, and we matched last year, and right now you have CMC and Cook. And guess what? I have CMC and Cook, so we match on both those picks again. Um, I did give some consideration to Cook at one. I'm not going to lie. I actually did too, based on, the, again, the question marks come with McCaffrey coming back from the injuries. So. Yep. And <clears throat> just a little bit of everything else. And you know what? I, I, here's a question. I don't know if we know if either of those guys are vaccinated, but at some point, does a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated player come into where you're ranking them or when you're drafting them? I think that if it's public knowledge, if they're vaccinated or not, like in the case of Kirk Cousins here in Minnesota, he has been very open with the media saying he is not vaccinated. He does not intend to become vaccinated. Uh, Obviously, we saw a bit of a free fall in the Scott Fishbowl for Cole Beasley because he was very, very vocal on Twitter about his lack of desire to be vaccinated, uh, going so far as saying that he would retire before being forced to be vaccinated. So... There's definitely the chance that, I mean, a player not being vaccinated, but with, with the current breakthrough cases and everything that's going on, we're seeing situations like Kellen Mond, who was vaccinated, test positive for COVID. So just because the player is not vaccinated, it may increase the odds that they will get COVID during the season, but it's not a guarantee that if they are vaccinated, they won't get COVID. So it, it, it may be like a, a, a small thing if like you're weighing really close between two players, but... I'm not going to give too much cadence. Yeah, for me, it'd only be in the, the you know those top guys in, in the early you know one, two, th- third round, maybe. And most likely, possibly, let's say I'm debating two different quarterbacks. That's a spot that it might. But again, same difference, right? They all spend time in the same, the same um, meeting rooms. So if one has it, the other ones are going to wind up being contacted, basically the same two, more than likely. So just it was a thought. All right, so we're a match at one and two. Go ahead and go three, four, five. How's that? Let's get the top five round. Okay. Well, so I I think this is where we're going to have our first differential. Uh, At number three, I've moved Ezekiel Elliott of Dallas up to number three. In the five games with Dak Prescott under center last year, Ezekiel Elliott had the third most total yards among running backs and the second most targets out of the backfield among running backs uh, during that five-game stretch there. Obviously, uh, Zelliot. Obviously, Zeke is part of the offense. Uh, He didn't do a ton last year once Andy Dalton took over and Ben DiNucci and whoever else they threw out there. But how much of that was because of the fact that it was Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci, and a dwindled offensive line? The offensive line is still not as good as they were a couple years ago, but they've pieced themselves back together a little bit. I think Zeke with Dak in the backfield with them is a great player. I think he's going to have an improved season. I've got him number three. Number four... I have Elvin Kamara of New Orleans. Now, his touchdown numbers from last year were extremely boosted by the six-pack he posted against my Vikings uh, right around Christmas there. Uh, My biggest concern, though, is in the seven games prior to that blow-up against Minnesota, he had less than 100 total yards, 
in all seven of those games. Uh, if Taysom Hill wins the job outright over over uh, Jameis Winston, I also lower him being further down the list here. Uh, again, I'm concerned about what effect Hill has with him in terms of stolen touchdowns. Right now, I've got him at four. But again, if, he, if Taysom takes over, Kamara could easily fall to as low as seven on my list. And number five, I've got Derrick Henry of Tennessee. Uh, I'm a little concerned that this might finally be the year that all the carries catch up with him. Uh, but he's also going to be hurt by not at all being active in the passing game. 37 different running backs had more targets last year than Henry. We're, we're talking backups. We're talking PPR backs, all with more targets than Derrick Henry. But here's the thing. Henry can win any week for you in a fantasy league because he can give you a 200-yard rushing performance just out of the blue. That is true. Okay, so we have three matches, player-wise, not spot-wise. Um, yes. In our two early top ten last year, at the end of last year, we both had Henry at number three. Um, I do not have Zeke at three. I do not have Henry at three. I have Alvin Kamara at three. That is under the presumption that I do think Jameis Winston is going to win that job. I, too, would push him down if Taysom Hill wins it. I don't buy it. I don't think Taysom is a long-term solution for them at the quarterback spot. Um, with Michael Thomas being out for an indefinite period of time, add to the receptions that Alvin Kamara should get, and that's why I push him up from 5-6 range to top three. Well, not only is Michael Thomas out, but the team may also be without their third best receiver who might receive a suspension this year. And they've lost their top two tight ends from last season as well. So there's going to be passing opportunities, uh, reception opportunities, at least for Kamara in this offense, even if Thomas does return early. Absolutely. So in the two early rankings, I had Zeke at five. You had him at six. So you bumped him up. You've got him all the way up at three. Um, I actually kept him at five. I had him. I was doing this. I, I was, it looked like I was going to push him down. I was like, nope, that's too low. I've got to push him back up. Different things that you use to factor that stuff in. Good offense, bad offense, et cetera, right? Share, who doesn't share, injury, not injured, all that good stuff. So I have him at five. I do have a guy at four that you haven't mentioned yet. And he easily could have been six, seven, eight, nine. I just think based on talent, upside, I believe he's going to come back healthy from his injury. I believe that he's going to catch a ton of passes. I don't think that there's as much good surrounding talent on that offense as people think, and I think could be a good safety valve. But I have Saquon Barkley at four, and I know that's higher than most people in the industry. It's not really that high, though. I mean, uh, going into my next chunk here, Saquon Barkley is actually my number six. Uh, perhaps no other running back has the chance to approach Delvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey in terms of total production if everything goes right. Uh, Barkley is a multi-purpose back. He catches the ball. He runs the ball. He's on an offense, like you said, that has weapons to keep the opposing team uh, a little honest, but he doesn't have, like, studs opposite him. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, all talented receivers. None is someone that's really going to force the opposing team to not pay attention to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, there's no, there's no uh, plus, DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones in his prime or anything like that there. Plus, Barkley, of course, is coming off a major injury. Uh, his quarterback remains a little questionable. I mean, uh, people kind of know what they have with Daniel Jones, and that's not a big positive for him. Yeah. Uh, 
at number seven, I decided to go with Cleveland's Nick Chubb. Uh, Kareem Hunt is always a threat to eat into Chubb's potential. But even with Hunt in the lineup, Chubb topped 100 total yards in two-thirds of his games last year, plus he averaged a touchdown per game on the games that he played. So Chubb is going to get his no matter if Hunt's out there or not. And Cleveland just gave him a big contract extension. I think that means that they're going to pay a little bit more attention to making sure he gets the ball now. Uh, at eight, I've rostered Jonathan Taylor of Indianapolis. Taylor, he also has a few guys behind him that could eat into his touches. But without Carson Wentz, Indy is going to have to lean on the run even more. And then once Wentz returns, uh, coming off of a foot injury, he won't be nearly as big of a vulture threat at the goal line, which is going to ultimately be Taylor's role no matter who else is backing him up. Okay, so you got th- you're, you've given through eight. So I'll give my six, seven, eight now. Um, I will say this. I have Henry at seven, um, where you had him at number wow. five. My number five was Zeke. At six, I have a guy you haven't mentioned yet, and maybe I'm too high on him. I probably am too high on him. Um, his quarterback's going to steal some yards, and his quarterback's going to steal some touches. But I don't see anybody else that's going to steal anything from him, and I think he's got – and like I said, I have him at the top of his range. I don't think he can break any higher than this. I don't think he busts in the top five. But I've got J.K. Dobbins at number um, six. Okay, that's very interesting. J.K. Dobbins did not make my top 12. And yet last year in the two early, you had him at number seven. <clears throat> exactly. I – thought about it more this offseason and a lot of that was based on the fact that I expected Gus Edwards to go elsewhere Uh, of course Baltimore decided to bring Gus Edwards back they still have Justice Hill they still have Lamar Jackson and despite the fact that the coaching staff there says they're going to be throwing the ball to Dobbins more we still haven't seen it Dobbins isn't Derrick Henry bad in terms of PPR but I'd like to see him catch a few more than like three passes in a game before I anoint him a top 10 running back. Understandable. I know I'm out on a little bit of a limb with this one, but sometimes that's what it takes, right? If it's any consolation, he was my number 14 overall. Okay. So I've got six Dobbins, seven Henry, and my Henry concern is the same as yours. Are those carries going to catch up with him? And are there as many carries to give him if he could take them with Julio Jones in town now? Exactly. And that's my biggest, like, and it's because you're, it's, we're, we're truly splitting atoms between the top five, six, seven, eight running backs in my mind, right? Exactly. Um, an injury here or there, a half a game lost here or there is going to make a guy that's going to wind up ranked a little lower, a little higher. So the fact that you have Julio there with AJ Brown, who you're still expecting big things from, still have Tannehill, it just says to me that maybe, and if there's a guy that can't lose those touches, it's Henry because he doesn't offset them with catches. Exactly. So um, at number eight, I have Aaron Jones. So I've been Aaron Jones. Good. Well, it's, it's your six, seven, eight were Dobbins, Henry Jones. Okay. Uh, Aaron Jones for me finished at number 10. But before I jump into him, I will give you my number nine which is David Montgomery of Chicago. Matt Nagy is promising repeatedly on Twitter and on Facebook and on any other social media that he can get a hold of that he is going to keep David Montgomery in a workhorse back role, much like he had it 
the end of last season. Tariq Cohen still has not returned from his injury. So even if he does come back, I don't see how big of a threat he's actually going to be. Over the last six weeks of last year, only one running back had more total yards and only one running back had more total touchdowns than Montgomery. That one running back that had more touchdowns, well, that was Elvin Kamara, who got six of those touchdowns in the one game. So, you know what, Montgomery, if Nagy is telling the truth, and that's a huge if because we don't know if he's prone to tell the truth or not, uh, is a great opportunity to produce. And it's really a shame to me because a lot of fantasy analysts are kind of like wishy-washy on him this year. They don't think he's real. They, they, they don't want to put that trust in him. I, I think that he is going to be solid this year. I've got him inside my top 10 at number nine. Okay. And at number 10, I've got Aaron Jones. I have no clue what in the heck Green Bay was doing last year, pulling Jones out of games at random times for no apparent reason. This year, fortunately, he only has A.J. Dillon to fend off because they shipped Jamal Williams off to Detroit. Well, Jones, he has a career average of 5.2 yards per carry. That's half a first down every time Jones carries the ball. He's averaged 15 touchdowns over the last two years, despite splitting touches with Williams and Dillon last year. Jones is a, a money player as long as Aaron Rodgers is with Green Bay. Of course, they probably both will be gone after this season or after next season. So enjoy them while you can. Yeah, and if there's a guy that could crack that top three to five, it's Jones. Exactly. Based Um, on touchdowns alone. Yep. Um, And he catches the ball and all that other stuff. And I just don't see A.J. Dillon being a huge threat to any kind of meaningful carries from him. Well, he'll be a huge threat, but not a huge threat. True. Very true. So, okay, so you got me down to 10. Um, my number nine is Nick Chubb. And, you know, the only thing that keeps Chubb from going higher, I know he signed the big contract, is um, having Kareem Hunt in that backfield with him. That is the only thing that keeps him that low for me. And, again, Chubb is actually a decent receiving back, but he doesn't get a lot of those receiving looks. Almost all of those go to Hunt. So, again, when you factor in points per reception – uh, that kind of like lowers Chubb's potential as well. Yeah. And now I'm going to interject. I'm going to interject a guy into my rankings that I definitely think that it's a long shot that you'll have him in it. Um, I could be wrong. Um, but my number 10 is Joe Mixon. Uh, he didn't make my top 12, but I will tell you this. Uh, he was right behind J.K. Dobbins for me at number 15. Fair enough. So that's my 9 and 10. Who's your 11 and 12? Go ahead and round them out. Okay. At 11, I'm going with Antonio Gibson out of Washington. J.D. McKissick likes to steal receptions from Gibson. There's no denying that. But Gibson still had the 19th most receptions among running backs on top of all the receptions that McKissick was getting. Uh, Gibson's foot is supposedly fully healed. And Ron Rivera, you know what? A couple of years ago, he did a pretty good job turning Christian McCaffrey into a multi-dimensional stud while he was in Carolina. Gibson can be a mini-Mac if, if, you, if you can't get McCaffrey. And I really love, if, if you're in a situation where you've got like the one and the 24, there's a slot that Antonio Gibson might slide back around to you, and you could walk out of your draft with Gibson and McCaffrey, and you don't even have to worry about manning any of the running backs. That is true. That's not a bad pairing if you could pull that off. At number 12, this is the player that I'm sure might not have made your list, but I'm going with Najee Harris of Pittsburgh. 
somehow the unholy duo of Benny Snell and James Conner finished with 1,360 total yards and 10 total touchdowns behind arguably the league's worst offensive line last season. Harris is light years better than both of them. The Steelers used their second round pick, their third round pick, and their fourth round pick to get two offensive line starters as well as a blocking tight end. So they're gearing up to run the ball a little bit more this year. Uh, I love Harris. And again, Harris can catch the ball out of the backfield too, which makes him a little bit more reliable than either Snell or Connor from that standpoint. So we're, I think we're going to push on the nine and push on the two, actually. Um, my 11 is Austin Eckler. I just, I had a hard time pushing him up. I had a hard time pushing him down. It's like he really, especially because in PPR, he deserves to be there. Um, I just, I can go and I'll say, I'll tell you the guys that didn't make my top 12 and Mm -hmm. why I flipped the coin to go Eckler over them. Um, But at 12, I have Gibson. So we matched on Gibson being in the top 12. I agree with all the reasons that you said. um, And I believe that, yeah, I won't be surprised if he could push up towards top five, but everything would have to break out perfectly for that to happen. Um, So with regards to even Eckler and Gibson, right? Since they're right there at 11, 12 for me. Jonathan yep. uh, Eckler is my number 13, by the way. Okay. Jonathan Taylor. I probably would have him in that five through eight or nine range if Carson Wentz was not injured. The injury to Carson Wentz scares me, not because you don't go, well, they're going to feed him the ball now, but it's, okay, is this Ben DiNucci all over again for the Cowboys? It could be. Right? So I don't have the comfort of who their backup quarterback is that allows me to say, I want Jonathan Taylor in my top 12. I did not come out of the draft, the Scott Fishbowl draft, with Jonathan Taylor when Wentz was healthy, and I had a little bit of regret about that. Okay? Well, Today I would so not. I actually did a little bit of research. I was looking at one thing uh, prior to this. I wanted to see how the Philadelphia Eagles running backs did when Nick Foles replaced Carson Wentz back in 2017 on, and during his Super Bowl run. And during the three games, uh, 14, 15, I'm sorry, 15, 16, and 17 of that season that Foles started uh, for Wentz, uh, the running backs for the Eagles, who were not very good uh, to begin with, were equally not very good during that stretch. So there really wasn't a trend that I saw from that. Yeah. Um, and you, you're banking on something happening that just very well may not happen, right? Exactly. Um, so then... I look at CEH, Clyde Edwards Alaire. Fantastic offense. Actually, too fantastic of an offense, right? Um, I do yes. think that he's going to outperform where people are drafting him this year um, because they got so burnt by him last year that they're discrediting what his opportunities are. If Andy can build him into that passing offense, then he can crack the top 10. But that's the reason there are just so many other options in that offense. That's why I had a hard time getting him above Gibson or Eckler. Najee Harris. Love the talent. I actually love the fact that I think Pittsburgh's probably going to feed him both run game and pass game. But I actually think that we see Pittsburgh seriously regress on offense this year and struggle. I don't know that they're a six or seven win team. And I think that negatively impacts Harris. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe they're eight wins. Maybe they're nine wins. And he does make top 12. That's why I push him down but below those other two guys. 
DeAndre Swift's another guy that I like. But, man, I just can't trust Detroit. Detroit's got to show me something at some point. Well, right? and Detroit's been playing from behind so much. Yeah. How, how, how much opportunity is Swift going to get other than in just the dump-off pass game from, uh, from Jared Goff to really improve his value? And then the last one I've got in that list, that, that bucket that I could have easily put at 11 or 12, was Montgomery. Um, and basically my reason, and it's probably a jaded reason, is it's Chicago. If I'm going to bet on one player in Chicago, it's not going to be a running back. Well, to talk a little bit to the absolute depth at the running back position, that, that shows a point that there were several players that neither of us, or that one of us had that the other one didn't. Uh, guys just outside my top 12, we talked about Eckler, we talked about J.K. Dobbins and Joe Mixon. Uh, I agree, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, definitely just barely outside that top 12. Chris Carson, always underrepresented, but on a very good offense. Yep. Uh, Miles Sanders, yep. on a not-so-great offense, but probably the most talented of any of those guys. Uh, Josh Jacobs, 1,000-yard season last year. He's going to have to split some touches this year with Kenyon Drake, more than likely. Uh, Swift, again, good run- great running back, bad offense. Chase Edmonds. Great offense, mediocre running back. Uh, Daryl Henderson uh, getting the opportunity to start all season there in, Bal- in, in Baltimore. In Los Angeles in place of the injured Cam Akers. And a guy that could be very, very interesting uh, is Travis Etienne going into that uh, new Jacksonville offense there. Assumedly, they drafted him to take over for James Robinson, but we really don't know yet. Yeah, and I know there's a bunch of zero running back people out there. But, man, I'll tell you what, I really don't want anything to do with, with most running backs outside of that top 18 to 20. Well, for the guys that do go zero running back, guys to consider are rookies like Javante Williams, Trey Sermon in San Francisco, Michael Carter for the Jets. Or, of course, you can always look at if you're zero running back but you're in a point per reception league, uh, adding a guy like a J.D. McKissick who will get you receptions. Gio Bernard, who may or may not take over the pass-catching role in Tampa Bay, yep. sort of the James White role. You've got Naheem Hines, always is a pass-catching option in Indianapolis, particularly if they're going to be playing from behind if they have bad quarterback play. And Boston Scott last year for Philadelphia carved off a niche for himself from a pass-catching standpoint, too. Yeah, but the Philly backfield's also a little bit muddy. Uh, I think we may see some cuts through camp, but, I mean, they've got – actually, they, they signed Jordan Howard. I think he's still on the team, believe it or not. But Was this like his fourth term with them? Something like that. I don't know. He's trying to be Frank Gore Jr. or something. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, you've got um, Kenyon – goodness, his last name's going to escape me – from Detroit. Ken, oh, uh, Carry-on Johnson. Yeah. Carry-on Johnson, yes. Yeah, Carry-on Johnson there. You've got the rookie that they, they drafted this year. So, it's just – outside of Miles Sanders, it would be tough for me to want to rely on any of those guys. Um, so, oh, by, by the way, listeners, I want to apologize to you for a couple of years ago when I told you to get Carry-on Johnson. That was a mistake. That was a bad mistake on my part. <laughs> it happens. It happens. And that, that might be why I've got a little bit of Deon, little bit of DeAndre Swift, you know, apprehension also. Because st- some of that stuff sticks with you, right? Exactly. The stink of the team stays with the players that come in, unfortunately. Um, Handcuffs. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned Alexander Madison as a guy you've got to have if you have Delvin Cook. Uh, I think uh, James Robinson uh, is technically the handcuff there now in Jacksonville. So, again, if, if you – are taking if you're taking a chance to get Travis Etienne, you got to have Robinson too. Gus Edwards obviously is the handcuff for J.K. Dobbins. You want to have, uh, despite the fact they're both getting older. Latavius Murray still sitting behind Elvin Kamara there in the Saints. Uh, Tony Pollard proved last year that he could be effective if given the opportunity to get more snaps for Dallas. Obviously Zeke is fully healthy, so he might go down a little bit, but he's still an important handcuff. 
Uh, a couple that you might not think about, though, uh, Wayne Gallman with San Francisco. San Francisco's running backs are, there's at least three or four on the IR every single week. Yeah. And Gallman actually carved out a nice niche for himself last year, uh, filling in for Saquon Barkley. So I, I really kind of like him as a sneaky late-round handcuff player that could end up becoming a starter at some point this year. And, and Damian Williams is a name that people might forget about. He signed with uh, Chicago this offseason. And if Tariq Cohen remains out, and if David Montgomery fails to live up to the hype that he presented in the last six weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Nagy calls on old reliable Damian Williams, who has some experience from back in KC. Yeah, I was going to say there's a little bit of a KC connection there. Yeah. All right. So you ready to transition on over to some Scott Fishbowl? Exactly. So I guess the first thing to ask you is you know, we both drafted from the one spot the past few years, a couple years. You have it this year, but then you've got the third round reversal to deal with. How did that change your thought process? Well, so I actually asked, uh, we, we were given the opportunity to say what position we wanted in the draft or which position we wanted to draft from. And I will be the first to admit, I asked for the 101 without realizing that there was the third round reversal this year. Fair. I, 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 I knew it, I'd heard it mentioned before in, in passing but I'd forgotten about it, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take the 101 anyways. Uh, so when the opportunity came, I thought, well, this is a great challenge then to see what I do from that spot with the third-round reversal. And for those that don't know what a third-round reversal was, uh, in a traditional snake draft, if you have pick 101 as 12 teams, you'll also have pick 224, you'll have pick 301, pick 324, and so on. Uh, in a third-round reversal, you have pick 101, you have picked uh, two, two, which would be 24 there. And then you've got pick 312 and 401 then. So it's, it's a little bit of a change up from what you might uh, be used to if, you, if you've just taken part in snake drafts in the past. But then going forward from that point, it sticks with that. So it's not like it's reversing back and forth every single other round, which would be really confusing. So I drafted from the 12th spot, and I wanted it for that reason because of the third round reversal. Um, however, there was a rule that I didn't realize until we were somewhat into the draft. Um, and when I tell you what it was, you'll realize just how into the draft it was. I didn't realize that you could start multiple kickers in flex spots. Yes, the, the multiple kicker factor. This, this was a new thing with Scott Fishbowl this year. Uh, based on the push of a couple different people, uh, Scott Fish decided to allow teams to draft a kicker that they could use in their flex or super flex slots. Um, I actually left the draft without a single kicker. Uh, no kickers were required. Correct. and. As much as a kicker is fairly reliable for 7 to 10 points, there is no clear ceiling from a kicker. Uh, and the floor can be as low as 1 or 2. And with the amount of negative points that a kicker can accrue by missing field goals or missing extra points, it almost seems like a loss leader type play to pick them up even. So I kind of looked at it a little bit differently. I didn't want to go over the top, but I also know after playing in the Scott Fishbowl for so many years, that as the season progresses, injuries really take a toll, and it's hard to fill some of those spots once buys start. Really hard, right? Yes. One thing that kickers don't usually get is injured. Tell that to Greg Zorline. Well, yeah, but... Nate okay. Kading. But the per percentage, <laughs> the percentage of kickers drafted that play every game versus don't compared to other positions, it's like it's a lead pipe lock in a sense. 
Well, as, as someone that actually drafted kickers then, where in the draft did you find yourself taking one? Late. Or two or three? Real, real late. We'll get to that, but real late. Um, not anywhere early. I saw him going early, and I was like, what in the absolute, you know. But anyway, <laughs> so that was my thought process with it. Um, first pick, of course, you started with CMC. Uh, who'd, who'd you back that up with at 212 since you knew you weren't going to get another oh. pick till 312? Uh, it, it was a tough call. I was really looking, I was planning on taking another running back at this point here. And as we got into the second round, running backs started flying off the board a lot faster than I thought they would. Uh, one of the surprises was Derrick Henry slid all the way to the fifth pick in the second round. At this point, I'm like thinking to myself, it's like, maybe I should have taken a quarterback in the first round. But that's like running back, running back, running back. They're all starting to fly off the board. Eckler went. Uh, Nick Chubb went one pick before me. I, I was I pretty much penciled Chubb in paired along C-Mac, and I was feeling really excited about that. As it was, I got the guy that I've got ranked number 10 overall in running backs this season, and that's Aaron Jones to pair with C-Mac at 2.12. So you wouldn't have got him in our draft um, because Jones went 2-6. You would not have gotten Antonio Gibson. You would not have gotten Austin Eckler. Um the next running back that went after, let's see, um, in the second round, Jonathan Taylor had gone. Of course, he got injured. Zeke was in the second round. Chubb was in the second round. Gibson and Eckler, those were all second-round running backs that did not make it to your pick of 212 in my draft. You probably would have left with Cam Akers <laughs> or Joe Mixon. Um or Miles Sanders, but I doubt that. I think maybe Najee Harris. He went in round three. Um, but anyway, you would not have got Aaron Jones. So I think Aaron Jones is a good get for you at that third spot, quite honestly. And I think it was wise with the third-round reversal to get the running back, in my opinion. Yeah, and again, right after me, uh, Gibson went a couple picks after me. Uh, Najee went uh, five picks after me. Akers went seven picks after me. Mixon went nine picks after me. So... The, the few remaining running backs I actually had some faith in to be featured backs, they were all gone by the time 312 hit. So I'm really glad I went with Jones there. Again, I, I just I looked and all of the running backs that I really felt safe with were all gone by 312. So at 112, I actually nabbed Alvin Kamara. That's a pretty good value. I thought so too. Now, at that point, the only running backs that were off the board <coughs> – was CMC, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, in that order. So Kamara was number four. So now I've got pick five. Um, and I wound up taking the guy that I have ranked four. I took Saquon Barkley. I thought there was the most upside there. I could have taken Jonathan Taylor. I told you I had a little bit of regret after the, after the draft it has wrapped up. Now I don't. Um, I could have gone Aaron Jones. I could have gone Zeke. Uh, but I'm happy with my... Kamara and Barkley, and I know at this point I don't have to worry about running back the rest of the, the draft. That is about as good a thing as you can hope for there at the swing. Uh, in my particular draft, which was the Jay Belvin d division, I actually had no clue who Jay Belvin was prior to this draft. Apparently he's a reggae singer, uh, Latino singer, who uh, was sort of discovered alongside uh, Bad Bunny a couple of years ago. And I, so I actually went out and sought some of his music. He's actually got some pretty int in intriguing stuff, some really good Latin flair music uh, with a little bit of uh, Jamaican reggae sort of spun into it, which is pretty cool. Uh, but again, yeah, looking at that 112 pick, 
In our league, Kamara went at 112. Taylor went at 201. Zeke went at 202. Saquon went 203. So somebody was very fortunate in the 108 slot to also end up with uh, a good running back there at the 203 spot. Yep. So let me ask you this. Who was the first wide receiver taken in your draft, and when did they go? The first wide receiver to go in our league was – I should have had this queued up and ready to go. That's okay. But, of course, I didn't. Uh, it looks like the very first one was – I'll buy you some 301. Time. was 301. Okay. Right after I took Aaron Jones, the first wide receiver off the board was Tyree Kill. So Tyree Kill was the first wide receiver off of our board, but he was off at 2-5. I took the second wide receiver at 3-1. I would have died if you'd have said it was the player I took, but I figured it was Tyree Kill. I took Stefan Diggs at number two as the number two wide receiver off the board. Because, now remember, at this point, we did not know what was up with Aaron Rodgers. That pushed Devontae yes. Adams down in my mind. Um, DeAndre Hopkins was a close consideration. At this point, I'm glad I kind of avoided him. Um, but that's who it would have been between. It would have been DeAndre, Devontae, and Diggs. And I just think that Diggs, in his second year, could do something even more special than he did last year. Well, okay, so entering into that third round, I just mentioned Hill went at 301. Devontae Adams did go off the board as the next wide receiver at 304. And then uh, Stephon Diggs went off the board at 308. Uh, 310 was when Joe Mixon finally went. And then 311... The pick right before mine, the wide receiver I was actually going to take, Kelvin Ridley, was vultured from me. He went 311 in my draft also. <clears throat> What's comical about that is I had planned on taking Ridley, and that was the only wide receiver that I was really thinking about taking at this point. But then I looked at who was left on the quarterback and running back boards, Yep. and none of them really made me feel happy <laughs> to take them. So I did the stretch, and I took DeAndre Hopkins there at 312. Uh, didn't love it. Still don't love it. But, again, compared to who I was seeing sitting out there at running back, I wasn't going to take another running back at this point. Uh, I felt I was pretty good at 1-2 there. I followed it up at the 401 by taking my first quarterback, Kirk Cousins, who I took him before a lot of the news broke about him refusing to take a vaccine. But I also took him because uh, in this particular type of scoring format, he's very, very good. He, he always seems to finish with around 300 yards, doesn't throw picks, uh, doesn't run the ball at all, which doesn't help there. But uh, he also, again, he's a very reliable quarterback. He, he's consistent, and he doesn't get negative points, which is the most important thing. Very true. So you know me. I've got to, push, I've got to keep pushing quarterback down the list, right? So yes. at the 4-5 turn, Okay, so I told you what I did at 3-1. So it's an awful long wait from 3-1 to your fourth-round pick, right, at this point. Yes, yes. So I felt very fortunate to double-dip at wide receiver, and I went Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. A guy that I can— Sounds like a before-or-after game on Wheel of Fortune there, Keenan Allen Robinson. Yeah, there you go. Um, I considered Amari Cooper, who went two picks later. Um, I considered— um, Mike Evans, I didn't really consider any quarterbacks. I'm just going to be honest with you. I just didn't. Um, you know, I considered, you know, Chris Godwin. Again, just all those guys seem to want to vulture each other. I don't know what Antonio Brown's going to do in year two there. Um, 
Robert Woods was a consideration. He went before my next pick. Um, Julio Jones, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. So I, I was pretty happy to go with Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. Both guys, I think Keenan easily could possibly finish top five. I think he's top 10 no matter what. And I think Allen Robinson is a top 10 to top 12 wide receiver. Well, it's interesting you say you got those guys at the four, like four twelve five oh ones flip, right? Yep. Very consistent between drafts here because at four twelve in my division, uh, gridiron experts Derek Wiley chose DK Metcalf at five oh one with the slip pick. He picked Keenan Allen, and the very next guy, a, a fan by the name of Ernesto Fuentes, he took Allen Robinson. So Allen and Robinson went right back to back there too. Yeah. I think DK went earlier. I don't. I could be wrong. He may have gone a little. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he did. DK went three nine in my draft. He went way early. So then we get back down to me at the end of the fifth round, going into the sixth round again. I got the swing, which I kind of like. And lo and behold, there's still a couple of running backs I don't mind out there. They're actually semi-featured backs. Uh, I know that neither one was a guarantee. But neither one would have to be a guarantee because they're going to be my running back three and four. So I went back-to-back on running back here with Miles Gaskin and Josh Jacobs. So Gaskin went 5-12 in my draft, believe it or not. Um, I believe that Josh went a little bit earlier, though. Josh went 5-11. Yeah, I was a little surprised that Jacobs slid that far. But I guess the, Jacobs the concern went, was Kenny look, Drake. In, in my draft, it went Jacobs, Gaskin, 5-11, 5-12. So it wasn't that far off from yours. So am I right in saying you're through six picks and you don't have a quarterback yet? I have Kirk Cousins in the Oh, court. that's right. I'm sorry. You have Kirk Cousins. Never mind. We can't be friends anymore. Um, okay. We're not going to go through all these picks, but we'll go through at least seven, round seven for me, and then we can look at some other favorite picks or anything you want to talk about, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, at 6-7, I went with Justin Fields on the upside that I do believe at some point he's going to start in Chicago. And... Dun, 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 dun. Carson Wentz, unfortunately. Um, well, so, it's, again, it's amazing how close your, your league's draft was to my league's draft because in ours, Justin Fields went at 6'10", and Carson Wentz went at 6'11". Yeah. Um, guys that went right after in, like, that next round from those quarterbacks, I could have gone with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I considered Deshaun Watson. Only strictly based on the upside alone. I just don't think he plays this year. I don't see how Roger allows it. Well, and Watson slid away as ours too. I think he finally went in round nine. I was looking at him, and the guy two before me took him. It actually ended up being fine because I ended up getting a few other quarterbacks later on that I thought yeah. were much more likely to play this season, but... Again, it's, it's amazing. The biggest trend we saw, and something we all kind of expected, were that wide receivers would slide, and people were still getting quality wide receivers in the later rounds. Yeah. I mean, and then the other quarterbacks that went, it would be Zach Wilson went at 7-9, Tua went 7-10, and Jared Goff went 8-2. So I still, I'm okay with what I've got right now, because I don't, like I said, hey, I'll start a quarterback. I mean, I'll start a kicker instead of Carson Wentz if I have to. Whatever. <laughs> um, what are some of your other favorite picks, or how did your team wind up, you know, rounding well, out? Well, so I, I was really happy to see Adam Thielen slide to me at seven twelve. If nothing else, I know he's good for touchdowns on a regular basis. I, I backed up my uh, quarterback pick of uh, my, my first quarterback pick of Cousins with Sam Darnold in round eight. Thought that was a pretty good pick. 
wide at wide receiver uh, after Hopkins and Thielen. I waited a little bit and still was able to land Robbie Anderson, T.Y. Hilton, Jamison Crowder, Alan Lazard. A lot of guys I think have upside. Uh, or at worst case, they all have moderate floors. They, they aren't going to have bad performance from week-to-week basis. But the thing I was most happy about was getting Noah Font when I did, which was right around round, round 10. So I think Font went a lot earlier in my draft. I think he was in that 7 and range. I was reading the ADP on it, and a lot, of, a lot of leagues he was going right around the 6th round. So to see him slide to me all that farther, that was so beautiful for me. Yeah, yeah. I picked 10-01, I got him. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, so who are you going to battle with at, at tight end? Um, I actually went three, three quarterbacks in a row. It was Fields, it was Wentz, and then in round eight and nine, I took Jameis Winston on the upside because, trust me, there's not much left at quarterback at this point in that draft. Um, and then that's when I decided to get my, my starting tight end um, is Tyler Higby. Uh, no Gerald uh, Everett. You got Stafford. I, I like Tyler Higby, and I had a chance to grab him in a later round, and I didn't do it. I, I thought about it. Uh, I actually... At the swing at pick uh, number 11, I took Taysom Hill as my third quarterback. I had wanted Deshaun Watson at that point. He'd just gone before me, as I mentioned, a couple picks before me, uh, as kind of like that wild card, shot in the dark, third quarterback possibility. But I figured with Taysom Hill, I can put him in as my second quarterback on the week that the other two are, if one of the other two is on by. And I know for a fact that they're going to use Taysom Hill in some way in the game. True. So whether he's just a running back for a possible goal line touch or if he's going to be catching a ball out of the backfield, he's going to play. Yeah. So that's important from the quarterback position, whether he's starting at quarterback or if he's starting at tight end or if he's just playing gadget. Yeah, his upside should rival that of at least a running back four or five, right, that you're taking a gamble on to fill in for a bye week. And that allowed me to take at 12.01 my second tight end, which was Robert Tunyon. Uh, and then late in the draft, I added uh, Indianapolis tight end Jack Doyle. I figured, you know what, if I'm if Carson Wentz is going to be the quarterback there, I might as well take his top tight end because, well, he liked to throw to tight ends in Philadelphia. Well, now let's see how that works out now. Yep. So, <laughs> so for what it's worth, Tanyan went two picks after I took Higby at 9-3. He went earlier in my draft. Um, when I got later, in, so double-digit rounds, I actually went back to the running back pool and I pulled Zach Moss because I think he could actually lead Buffalo in touches um, at the running back position. So from a running back three standpoint with the two I have already, I thought I like that. Um, and I, I grabbed Curtis Samuel earlier in the draft. I had a little remiss that I missed out on Terry McLaurin in a couple spots where I thought about taking him. Um, but I like Samuel's upside coming from, you know, Carolina. He's in Washington now. Rivera. I knew him from his time there, so there's nothing I don't really like, not like about it, especially as a wide receiver. I think it's four or five for me, something like that. Um, then a little later, I took Jamal Williams because you know he's going to have some sort of a role in Detroit upside if something happens to Swift. To, um, Swift. And then for my backup tight end, I went with a guy that I really thought was going to wind up getting traded, and who knows, maybe he still does, um, and that's Zach Ertz. I mean, I got him in round 13. So, the, you know, it's, there's not much downside to that, but plenty of upside. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Gronkowski went right after him. Um, maybe I'm having a little bit of, you know, buyer's remorse seeing that I passed up on Darnell Mooney a couple picks after that that I could have had. <laughs> um, you know, and then it's like 
now I'm going for upside or, or guys that can just round out the, the wide receiver squad. I, I went with Nicole, with Nicole Hardman. Good offense. Think that we could see him take a step up. Will he ever be consistent? Probably not. Again, that wide receiver five. Brashad Perryman um, in Detroit, I think, is being overlooked a little bit. So as a wide receiver six, who's, you know, six or seven, who wouldn't be happy with that? Um, especially when you got guys like um, Jamison Crowder, you know, going, you know, after after a Perriman type thing. So it's, it's yeah, I, I ended up with Crowder. I like Crowder last year. Obviously he was much more involved. I think he's like this year. Uh, Elijah, Elijah, the rookie looks very, very good so far this spring. So uh, Crowder is probably going to see a reduction in production this year, but I still, I still went with him because he's a PPR beast. Maybe he gets traded someplace. So he's going to get a better chance to play yeah. this year. But uh, were there any surprises players that didn't get drafted in years? I, I've got a couple here that didn't get drafted uh, that I think will be hot commodities come week one in terms of uh, free agent budgets. You know, I didn't really look at it in that terms. Um, Believe it or not, I was never on the clock in my draft. 100% pre-selected every pick um, and had a zero draft hunt. Uh, Just a couple of names. I'm just going to throw a couple names that I really liked that if if the league was bigger, now the league is very big as is, but Guys that I would have loved to have rostered, particularly at the wide receiver position. No one took Quintez Cephas from Detroit. No one took Kiki Kute from Houston. Uh, no one took Hunter Renfro, who was a first down machine last year for the Raiders. And again, first downs count extra points in this league, which makes a guy like him very, very valuable. Uh, no one took uh, Tim Patrick from Denver. Obviously, yeah. now he's, he falls behind the other receivers there now that uh, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy will both be out there. But he looked very, very good in limited opportunities last year. Uh, no one took a chance on running backs like Matt Breda or Jeff Wilson. Uh, and at the tight end position, I was really super surprised that no one took either of the backups in Tampa Bay, O.J. Howard or Cameron Brait. Yep, the, so Howard went in my draft. I'm not sure about Brait. I had the last pick of the draft, and I wanted to get another tight end. Um, I thought you were going to name my guy, honestly. I, I, I nabbed Will Disley. Uh, someone got Disley in round 15, I believe, in our draft. And I, I had my eye on him, obviously, going to Seattle. Was where he, That's where he was. Where yeah. is he now? He's in so, Seattle. Yeah. He's still there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I like Disley, but I, I'd already had three tight ends. Right. So I didn't really need him. <laughs> so, and you asked earlier, so I wound up going my kickers in round 18, 19, 20. And then you went three kickers. Okay. I did. Because... And one of the kickers has the same buy. One of the things I did try to do in this draft, because of the late buys in the 17-round schedule, 17-week schedule, and there's buys in the playoffs, the two positions that I – three positions, actually. I tried to avoid players with buys in the playoffs was quarterback, tight end, and kicker. Kicker, not as much, but – the the quarterback position I did not I know you'll be full strength for all the regular season and but then you get the average to me I'd rather have that player eligible to play during the playoffs so I I really looked at buys that affected who I wanted to get at quarterback when I normally don't care right mm-hmm. um, and the same with tight end I wanted to make sure that and that's one of the reasons I didn't like Ertz because Philly has I think a week thirteen buy but I was expecting him to get traded, so that's why I went there. It's also why I avoided Dallas Goddard a little earlier in the draft. Um, so, anyway, my 
sleeper wide receiver that I added late in the 21st round was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Good, good eyes on that one. I know people were in on him a little bit earlier uh, than I thought I was going to be. I, I didn't uh, didn't have him pegged to go nearly as early as he ended up going in our in our draft. I kind of wish I would have grabbed him earlier. The guy that I was able to get in the last round, though, that I was really, really happy to get, or I should say not in the last round, but the swing pick going into the last round, was a guy who I thought might be traded, and that's Enkil Harry. Yeah. And I thought about I thought about him at some point in our draft too, but wound up passing. I probably should have. No, <laughs> but they're the types of gambles that you take based on upside late in the draft. So, do you want to be, do you want to just be cautious and careful and get a kicker, or do you want to go and get somebody that might have skyrocket value if he gets traded versus no value if he doesn't? Yeah, and again, though hindsight being what it was, I probably should have taken Cephas over Harry. But I, again, I, I I was playing the dart throw at that point. Yeah, you could still go get him in, in waivers. Exactly. Well, Harley, it's been good. It's been fun. And we'll do this for another, oh gosh, I don't know, almost 20 plus weeks now, it seems like. I was going to say, it's a long season. We got to take, take our time. Make sure we don't uh, pull an ACL or tear a muscle or throw out your shoulder or whatever other injuries happen to hit all of our favorite players this time of year. Laryngitis, turf toe. I get a tur- I, get, I don't want turf finger. Then I won't be able to hit the record button. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm tell you what, my body feels like I've played an NFL season because since middle of April I started a backyard project um, where I installed some turf in my backyard. I've, I posted some pictures to Twitter. My wife made a fantastic looking Eagles logo. I don't know if you saw that or not. Um, I did. I am in the Eagles division actually in Scott Fishbowl. Um, and then I also built a retaining wall to try and level out my putting green area. Um, and it's nothing's 100% done. I've got another couple weeks tops, but my body is feeling it. Well, as a huge fan of the Big Lebowski, I think you probably know where I sit on the Eagles, but that's another story. And I don't want to mention that certain phrase over the airways here because I might get beeped out. That's fine. And that's good. But you know what? I'll tell you what. You can follow Harley on Twitter at Nuclear Harley. Maybe he'll say it there and you'll see it. Um, maybe not. That's a tease. We'll see. You can also follow me on Twitter at Steve Gallo NFL. And, of course, head on over to the huddle. We've got all of our pre-draft stuff ready for you um, to help make you a winner this year. David and the team, um, Harley, myself, and some others, we all do a great job. Yes, I'm patting us on the back. Um, and, of course, that's where you'll be able to listen to this podcast for free and any ones that you want to listen to from last year. So... As we move into the rest of August and preseason, all I'm going to say is get blitz responsive. Cheers.